I'm Juita Gupta, and this is The Pulse. Grief is a universal human challenge. All of us grieve at some point, but how we grieve might be different. Some talk about it, others remain silent. For people with disabilities, grief can be a complicated process. Not only have they lost a loved one, but they might also lose their primary caregiver, their home and their familiar routine. So grief then becomes a multi-layered experience, which well-meaning able-bodied people might find difficult to talk about. We know about the restorative power of art though. Art can also then facilitate conversation and dialogue about grief by finding ways to say what grieving disabled adults might find hard to put in words. Today, we discuss grief and disability. It's time to put your finger on the pulse. Hello and welcome to The Pulse on AMI-audio. I'm Juita Gupta and I'm joining you from the Accessible Media Inc. studios in Toronto. I'm wearing my usual sweater today, long sleeves, crew neck, it's a nice purple, and my hair is tied back in a bun. I'm talking to a couple of scholars today whose work was published in the Canadian Journal of Disability Studies. We'll be hearing about an interesting studies which paired adults with intellectual and developmental disabilities and undergraduate university students who collaborated on a public art exhibit dealing with themes of grief and loss. I know many of you have asked me to do a show about grief and I've struggled with finding the right guest. Do I bring on a grief counselor, a therapist? Who would be the right person to talk to? And I thought this particular study might give us an interesting entry point into that conversation about disability and grief that I know many of you have wanted to have on this show. Yumi Shirai is assistant professor in the Department of Family and Community Medicine at the University of Arizona. She's my first guest. Yumi, hello and welcome to The Pulse. It's good to have you on the show. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Of course, my second guest is is Carissa Maria DeSinto, who is assistant professor in the Department of Art and Visual Education, also at the University of Arizona. Carissa, hello to you and welcome to the program. Hi, thank you for having me. Your article, Museum as a Mutual Learning Space for Artists with Intellectual and Developmental Disabilities and University Students, was recently published in the Canadian Journal of Disability Studies. Yumi, let me start with you. In a few words, what can you tell us about your study? What were its main objectives and what were you hoping to accomplish? So our study involves the uh, artists with intellectual and developmental disabilities and students from the University of Arizona Museum Education. Uh, how can we use the museum as a space to create a space for collaboration among different populations? And how we can deliver those messages to the public through the exhibition as well. And uh, this study really describes the process of how we can facilitate these collaborative activities with multi-group. And as a, uh, Carissa, uh, is a professor specializing in museum education. And she has an expertise in how she can train the curator museum staff. And I am, I'm an expert in working, directly working with the people with disabilities. So how we can collaborate together to create those space together. And I think the key steps 
just can be applicable for any other um, life situation or collaborative group activities. And the grief, the topic of grief, I've been in the um, this art studio for 25 years, and i grown up in this studio, and I learned how to get older with the studio artists and their family members. So we, along the way, we face the challenge of grief and loss, adaptation of adult life. And that's the, always the topic that I was really passionate about. And I was very excited to have this university partner to work together. And of course, Carissa, I should bring you in here uh, as someone who specializes in art education and community art, uh, visual ed art education. How is what you were trying to do with this study, which is more a collaborative process, different from uh, art as therapy or art as rehabilitation? Is there a difference or was it sort of a continuation of using art as a as a therapeutic medium for people with disabilities? I would say that this is different. Um, we really approached this as a collaborative process. We wanted to give students tools uh, for working with, with different groups of people in museum spaces. Um, one of our main goals was making sure that students weren't speaking for another group of people, another another community, um, in helping them prepare the exhibition. Um, and so it was really about giving them the tools uh, to be part of this collaboration and, and being good partners in it. Um, so we weren't, we weren't doing art therapy here. Um, we really were interested in in the practice of um, being curators and, and educators in a museum space with, with artworks. I'm going to stick with you, Car uh, Car Carissa. Just in terms of educating us, in your study, use the word multivocality. So what does the word multivocality actually mean? That's a great question. Um, so it it's really about multiple voices being present in, in a museum space. And so if you look at traditional curatorial practices, that was much more focused on the voice of the curator. And so the curator would design the exhibition, write the labels, you know, really be that voice. Um, with multivocality, it's much more about opening up a space and, and engaging with communities and sharing their voices in the museum space. We heard from Carissa about how they were hoping that undergraduate students would be better prepared to work with diverse communities and be better art educators without speaking for anybody. You may want to get you into the conversation here. How did we? How did you work with uh, the participants who had intellectual disabilities, developmental disabilities, to help them prepare for this project, to help them prepare to put their artwork on display, and to have challenging conversations about grief that I think most of us, even if there aren't disabilities involved, find extremely difficult to talk about topics around grief and loss. So prior to this collaboration, we had about uh, twelve weeks of grief conversation, their loss experiences through expressive arts. So my um, my art media is movement. So we crafted story about their experience with the movement and gestures, drawing and drumming. So we learn about a typical grief process, how that look like. And then also we shared about our own experience of loss. You know, who are the loved ones they lost and how was the environment surrounding and the process of losing and how they felt. And the expression of feeling was really difficult because many of folks with the communication difficulty may not identify nuanced 
word of how we can describe the feelings, but using the gesture and noise and sounds really helped us to connect to how do you feel today? And one of the participants said, tapping their chest with the big fist to like be very deep noise. And that is my feeling. It's none of those words or faces that usually can see the feeling chart. So we had an intense conversation about loss experience and they kind of reflected upon what they have experienced and shared among the peers and they expressed in some of the words. So they understand somehow what they have experienced. And so they were ready to share with the university students. So that 12 weeks of preparation was necessary prior to this collaboration. Carissa, did you feel in working with some of the university undergraduate students, I would imagine, and I'm making a guess here that many are in their early 20s, uh, may have some experience of grief and loss, but maybe not a lot. How prepared were they to listen to what the participants had to say without getting overwhelmed or frightened or trying to impose their experience on what the participants were saying? I, I didn't know it until afterwards how nervous they were. It seemed as though um, they thought that this was going to be a space of sadness, and and so they were they were concerned about that. Um, I was concerned about supporting their their needs too, and you know if they were dealing with grief, um, what that would be like for for them to have conversations. And so I did point them in the direction of of you know services that are on campus um, for for their mental health. Um, as soon as we got started with the project and they started having these conversations and, and sharing with the artists, um, it, it seemed like like those anxieties um, at least were reduced. They they commented that um, that it was it was much happier and more joyful than than they were were worried that it, it might be. Um, and so they, you know, really kind of dove into the project at that point. But I think there was some hesitancy at first. That's understandable. Hey, listen, I really want to hear a little bit about the art and some of the things that were finally put on display. You may describe some of your favorite artwork that came out of this project. So there are a couple of those arts that were on the uh, in the article that during the process of collaboration, they worked the bits and pieces, you know, over the six weeks. And so one of the art was made by Joey Ashburner. And he has the trees and bonfires and camp, camp trailers and the number of 32 lot of their camping place that the family has been going to those places for the, over the years before they lost their father and the grandpa. And when they were sharing that story with the students, you know, one day he talks about just suddenly bonfire. And then he couldn't carry on the conversation, but then he would bring back some camp uh, campers picture from home, then they carry no more conversation in the next week. So it's just the conversation was just building upon. And at the last piece of art, it's not just a tree or camp camper or two dogs, but then all of those are together in the colorful blue background you will see on the article. And then you can capture this happy moment of their family members and a special time. And you can see it and feel it. It's almost smell it too, in terms of seeing those pictures and lots of smiles. So that's one of my favorite ones. What about you, Carissa? What's your favorite? Oh, I really loved um, Vicky's work. Um, she was sharing about her, her mother and um, it was 
it was just it was just so personal and, and lovely and um yeah that was definitely my favorite one you're an artist carissa you work with students in art education i want to ask you what it, what you feel it is about artistic the artistic medium uh maybe the visual medium that allows for difficult conversations to take place um around grief and loss and that allows people with disabilities who have some of the communication barriers that you me described to fully express themselves and to share their sentiments about grief and the people that they have lost in their lives. I think art can really serve as an in-between. I mean, using Vicky's work as an example, she shared a recipe about peanut butter eggs that it was her mother's. Um, and so it was a way to share a story um, and, and you know, really kind of focus on these memories that were happening. And, and so I think it becomes almost like like an an intermediary between between two people um, or a vehicle to, to be able to share those those baby feelings and thoughts that that might be hard to just describe. Yumi, if people, you know, people often think that you should talk about your grief and we've read about the stages of grief. So people have a sense of what grief might look like. But if you've got someone with an intellectual disability or a developmental disability and they may not express grief in the quote unquote normative way, do you feel there are misconceptions about the impact on grief, of grief, on people with intellectual disabilities? Is there a way we have to go to understand what grief and the grieving process looks like for someone with an intellectual or developmental disability? Yeah, that's a great topic. And, you know, in the older literature, it's showing that um, the misconception exists. So the people with intellectual disability may not be invited to have discussion about end-of-life decisions, issues, ceremonial, ritual preparation. And um, those are very, very detriment for them to really start even thinking of, you know, what they are experiencing. They may not recognize that their loved one is gone, right? Then they are informed later. So, but over the time that I worked with the population, they do have a capacity to process their life experiences especially working through their life events and challenges. So our artists are between age 30 to in their 50s. So they are older than university students. So although they were limited communicable words, but they are emotionally matured, right? They have more experience, 20 more years experience than young kids in the college. So they were actually okay with talking about it and also understanding it. Some of the initial expression may be different because they don't know how to describe it, what could be the way of processing those, or how they can share. But art media really helps them to go through those process, reflecting upon what they experienced and sharing with others. So they are not alone. The others are experiencing the same thing or maybe similar thing. So seeing reflective with the share um with the peers through art was really helpful. And it also using those arts that university students also empathize and also understood what can be the experience for them as well. So that was the sharing of universal experience um, through arts is really impactful without using specific words and not tremble, I'm 
not struggle or strained with the words that we may not know. You touched on the fact that it's a, a universal experience, and I'm not going to quarrel with you on that because I think you've absolutely nailed it, Yumi. But what about the specifics when we think about people with disabilities? Uh, I had a guest on the show, I want to say about six months ago, who talked about how challenging she found it as the sibling of a child with a disability uh, when she suddenly became the primary caregiver of the of an adult sibling with a disability. So when you look at it from the point of view of an adult with a disability, when a parent dies, they're not just losing a parent, they might also be losing a caregiver. They might have to move because, you know, they're about to sell the parent's house. They might have a huge disruption to their routine. How did you help or were you able to help process some of the specific aspects of grieving as a person with a disability through this art project? You know, that is a very difficult one. Many of the population expands. And so I do encourage, you know, using art to create the storybook, personal storybook in the scrapbook or visual book when the person is still around with them, right? The primary mom, caregiver of mother or father, they know that person the most and they know how they can comfort them. What are the routines? What are the essence of their day-to-day happiness, right? Like, so for instance, one of my artists loved to have blueberry pie for Thanksgiving. But when mom is gone, no one give her the blueberry pies. But if you have that in a scrapbook, a note, or pass down to the brothers or sisters caregivers, they can carry on those tradition and rituals. So tradition and rituals, as long as you can pass down to someone or into a book, then it can carry on beyond the loss, right? So I think having the conversation and documenting those, that is really important process for our population. And the collaboration with the college kids also really helped us in order to document their little detailed stories because the caregivers and workers and families, they are full-time workers, more than full-time. They don't have time to sit down draw together, write it down, right? So that precious time is really important. I think we need to use that time to capture the personal story in art format so they can access, visually access those information when someone passes on too. That's really valuable. I think a lot of families listening will take that one to heart. Carissa, I want to shift gears a little bit. Uh, I was fascinated to learn about the context of this study being a museum. What has this project taught you uh, about the power of museums as potentially inclusive and welcoming spaces uh, to people of all abilities? And also, if I may extend the question, made you think about in terms of creating an inclusive and accessible arts practice? That's a great question. I, I really appreciated the University of Arizona Museum of Art because they have a community art gallery that is flexible, that really is focused on on multivocality. Um, and so knowing that that we had that space and that we could engage um, in this collaboration in that space made all the difference. They, I, I felt like that the museum really understood what it meant to, to be a class coming in and working with artworks and, and um, experimenting and seeing what might work, what might need to change. Um, there was a flexibility there that I think sometimes is left out of those museum spaces um, for a variety of reasons. I think, you know, there's a lot of deadlines in, in museums and, um, you know, p- 
people wanted to look a certain way. And so I, I really think that space made all the difference in terms of what we were able to do. I just want to stick with uh, with you, Carissa, and pick up on something you touched on earlier, which is about the curatorial process and how that process may have evolved as a result of this project. Do you think uh, about curation differently uh, compared to before you engaged in this project? And do your students think about it differently compared to when they were before their involvement? I, I think so. I mean, we we did this in in 2019, um, and so you know, since then I've started really finding other ways to to weave the, this into my my courses um it's based on pat villeneuve and ann ralston loves um book about educuration and so it's really bringing the educator voice and the curator voice together to program exhibitions um instead of it, it focusing on the curator um and so that's been something that that we've been working on since since and and trying out in different ways but Yes, this was the start of all of that. Um, and and it's, I think, really giving students tools for when they go into the museum field um, or, a, a, you know, community arts education or classroom teaching to bring these tools with them. Edu-curation. Cool. I learned a new word today. <laughs> Yumi, we've just got a few minutes left. I want to give you the last word here. Uh, when you think about the broader implications of your project of this study, you know, stepping beyond what it's meant to the participants and the university students involved, what would you say are some of the broader implications in terms of how we talk about grief, disability, and loss? So grief and disability loss, that's, um, can I put a little things just before I touched based on that topic? So multivocality is the uh, museum kind of um, perspective that different voices are important and represented in the museum space. And in the disability world, we have patient-centered, a person-centered perspective. And it sounds more of the patient as in the, although they have the voice, but it's a deficit in a way. Someone would help to achieve the person-centered planning, person-centered philosophy, but multi-vocality step us forward our people, uh, intellectual disability in a mutual space with the other group members. So I really like the perspective of multivocality, that how our population can tap into those space. And the topic of grief and loss, I think those we all experience, we all age. And I think the population, um, not just for the people with intellectual disabilities, but all of us should continue to have a conversation openly and bluntly, honestly. So it's not the fear factor, but it's happening always and all the time. And I think using the art is the way that because one of the uh, quote, you know, the students were surprised that they can experience um, crying and laughing at the same time. And grief is, that, you know, the both of those emotions and feelings and experience exist together. So uh, Carissa said about the plurality or between space kind of um, conversation, we maybe, you know, take away the preassumption of what is grief, what is loss. Then having the conversation, you know, try to be honest and sharing with others and sharing the empathy with others as well. So I think that's the way to go. 
and art would help. I think that was really well said. Yumi and Carissa, thank you both so much for being on the program today. I wish you had longer to talk, but it was a real pleasure to getting to know both of you and hearing about your amazing study and project. Thank you. Thank you. Yumi Shirai is assistant professor in the Department of Family and Community Medicine at the University of Arizona. Carissa Maria DeSinto is assistant professor in the Department of Art and Visual Culture Education also at the University of Arizona. You heard about their article, Museum as a Mutual Learning Space for Artists with Intellectual and Developmental Disabilities and University Students, published in the Canadian Journal of Disability Studies. That's all the time we have for today. I want to thank you for being a part of the conversation. Our technical producer is Marka Flalo. Matthew McGurk is our videographer. Ryan Delahanty is the coordinator for podcasts at AMI-audio. Andy Frank is the manager at AMI-audio. And I've been your host, Joey the Gupta. We would, of course, as always, love to get your feedback. You can give us a call at one 866 509-4545. That's 1-866-509-4545. And please leave your permission to play your voicemail on the program. If you'd like to write to us by email, you can find us at feedback at ami.ca. You can also find us on Twitter. Still, we're on Twitter at AMI Audio. Use the hashtag PulseAMI. If you'd like to look me up on Twitter, I'm at Juita Gupta. That's J-O-E-I-T-A-G-U-P-T-A, all lowercase. So, of course, we would love to hear from you. If you would like to pitch ideas for future stories or guests, please be my guest. But it's been a pleasure talking to you today and bringing you this important study and this important conversation about grief and disability. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.